Oh, he's leaving. He's right. leaving. He's back. He's back. All right. Hey. I missed. Everybody, welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by comedian Mike Malloy from Faded Comedy LA. Uh, go over to fadedcomedy.com, uh, 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 right? I, we have a banner yeah. for it if I got it wrong, oh, yeah. uh, just in case. You got it. And uh, they, they do all kinds of fun stuff, or at least did before the pandemic. Um, we still trying. Yeah. Um, What's ex- we've explain- had to redefine what fun is, but. Yeah. Um, I do want to put up this disclaimer. I just have to find it uh, because there's going to be some language. Um, <laughs> a lot, probably more than normal. Just wanted to let you know if you're sensitive yeah. to that kind of thing. If the kids are listening, which they shouldn't be, um, just be prepared. Mike, how are you? Thanks for coming on. We appreciate I'm, it. I'm doing good. I, ho- I hope I don't scare them off cursing like a rowdy orphan boy. But that, that's just how, <laughs> that's uh, just how I'm built. Those are the best kind. So we, we wanted to congratulate you, by the way. You are fresh out of Twitter jail. I'm not. Fresh I got out. another fucking, I got another day in the clink, apparently. I thought I thought I was out today, and apparently it's tomorrow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because before it was difficult to even uh double check that we were following you on Twitter. Oh, so that's why I thought you were out. Oh, yeah. No, I'm like, I'm just in jail. Like, I'm not on death row like i've been before like before they're just like you're you're donezo your tweets are gone nobody can read them but now i like i can dm people i can't send videos for some reason though i don't know like you're in a halfway house right now like you're like you're not out you're not like completely removed from the system but you're not inside they yeah they got they got me uh, on weekends i can leave the jail Basically, just <laughs> if you could, if you're you could work just, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the Willie Horton of, of Twitter now, <laughs> which is a deep cut Boston reference. Yeah, <laughs> which I only that. know because of like King of the Hill, which is weird. <laughs> well, see, now I was Andy. We were alive when that actually happened. Like we we yes. saw the the impact of Willie Horton on an actual Oof. political campaign. That is rough, man. Um, I don't even remember what goddamn year it was. Was it like that 80? was eighty eight? Yeah, that was the. Yeah, so I was three. I I probably didn't remember. You're lucky. I was, I was watching like <laughs> Huey Herman, but the, you know they didn't, they didn't cover, he didn't cover that. It was mostly him just talking about the chair. That had its own <laughs> cherry. So can you like? Do you regret at this point? Um, everything, trying- everything I've ever done up until fucking this moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, give yeah, this moment you know. time too. Right, no, we we're, we just started. Do you regret then? You know, now that you are in Twitter jail, starting you know the insurrection, um, storming the Capitol. Do you have regrets about these things? Because that's as far as I know, that is the only reason people get banned from Twitter. Actually, that was the the last time that I got locked up. Because so this time I got locked up for seven days. The last time I got locked up for a day because of that. That what did you do? Got- First of all, wait, back up for a second. What did you do that got you? Locked into Twitter jail for the a most week. recent. Oh, I, time. I, I, thre- I I threatened Keith Old Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, I didn't even Keith Olbermann, a, a former spe- uh, yeah. the former Sports Center guy. Yeah, Keith Old Birdman was being a fucking jerk on Twitter, and I was like, he's like, oh, people from Texas are idiots and they should die and not get the vaccine. And I was like, hey, somebody should probably beat your ass, which isn't a threat. It's actually not a threat. Even- it's even like I hope somebody beats your ass. It's, somebody should. I <laughs> will it be me? It's who's to say. It might be. <laughs> but it's, I'm not going to say that it is. But I'm not going to say that it's not. Well, well look, you know the the way ahead, I felt yeah. about it. Um, because I I I saw that tweet that he sent out, which was essentially mm-hmm. after uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, lifted the mandatory mask mandate. He Keith Olbermann reacted by saying if. Essentially, if Texas is now on the side of the virus, why are we going to be bothering vaccinating them? Which is obviously Mm. an incredibly stupid statement on his part. Mm. The way I feel about it, though, in terms of your tweet, I would not advocate violence towards him because I just wouldn't advocate violence, period. That being said, if I heard that some Texan clocked Keith Oberman over that tweet, my reaction would be, I get it. I'm not saying I approve of it, I, I but I get it. Violence to an extent, like is punching somebody in the forehead violence? Sure, 
but like there's a difference between punching somebody in the forehead to smart them and, or like to hurt them. And like, I'm not saying he needs to be hurt. I'm just saying he needs to like, <laughs> like get an ear flick. in the head. Like a, yeah. Like, like uh, Hey dummy fucking <laughs> or, just a reboot. Like just uh, <laughs> blow on the cartridge. What are you doing? <laughs> but as far as regret, no, I don't regret it. I'm go. I, 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 I would do it again. I will do it again. Um, I will never actually specifically ask people to punch Keith Olbermann or just do something that's going to get you thrown in Twitter jail again. I mean, probably both. I'll probably like, I'm not (laughs) going to not tell you, like, I'm not going to not tell your listeners to not punch Keith Olbermann. I'm not going to tell them to either. That's up to them. I'm going to give them the information to make that decision. If you at home want to punch Keith Olbermann, that's your business. I have nothing. It's it's a very, it's a very libertarian approach to this. Which, oh, God, oh, no, don't ever compare me to those fuckheads. Oh, they're the worst. Oh, 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 God. I love I love how those guys will just fucking... I'm not wasted. That's this what I was fucking, about to say. I don't even this think... Is a, you, this is a, All I'm having is a goddamn Red Bull. I haven't had a drop of alcohol. I, I'm good. <laughs> take that, Cameron Porter. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to wake up, Cameron. Goddamn. I was, it was 7 o'clock. I was watching some King of the Hill. I was like, oh, goddamn, I got to wake up, don't I? So, uh, I, you know what's funny? I guess though, he's like, gone now. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't like you. Maybe, maybe, maybe he likes Keith. I'm out. This guy's Here's a dick. Th- All right, Cameron, get out of here. Then don't ever come back. Tell him he's not welcome back. No, he's a regular. He's welcome back. He's welcome back, <laughs> Cameron. But, like, here's back. the thing. Like, I, I I'll I get better. He'll be fine. I have a sneaking <laughs> suspicion that we are all relatively on the, at least on the same, you know, red or blue side of the spectrum. Like when Keith Olbermann spouts off and says that all Texans should, you know, not get vaccinated and die of COVID, he, he makes us all look bad. Knock that yeah. shit off. And like, we have enough like people to yell at. Like, I, do, I don't feel like turning to my, own, the, the guys I'm supposed to be lined up again, alongside. Right, exactly. Hey, could you also? I know we're charging at these guys who have knives. Could you also not <laughs> stab me while we're running up there? Can you just like not run with your knives pointing to the sides? Just stab forward. Here's this the is, thi- go ahead, Eddie. I, I was going to say though, like in thinking about what's happened to you, because you you've you've explained that you've been suspended from Twitter, you know, kicked off in Twitter jail multiple times. Clearly, the system isn't working. Um, you're just a repeat I'm offender. A yeah, you're a recidivist. You're getting shuffled through all the time. But I got to be honest, a week where I cannot get inside Twitter at all sounds amazing. Like, like I feel like yeah. if they really want to punish you, they should make you tweet all the time. Like, you can never stop tweeting. Like, you have to look at Twitter all the time. Like, you're basically this. <laughs> like, just staring yeah. at Twitter 24-7. Like, every time you send a tweet... They make you tweet something else for like a week. Like you cannot get away. That That's, feels like a more uh, effective way to get people in line. That has been every day of my last five years in Los Angeles anyways, though. Like the only way I get fucking anybody to notice me is if I tweet nonstop. So <laughs> it's that, that's my, my hell is my reality. In my reality is my hell. So sign sign spinning hasn't been working for you. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you say? So do you like what you said? You got banned completely. How did you get for banned completely and then get I back? I don't remember what I did. I don't even remember. I so the thing that I did on it was funny that you brought up the insurrection. The day of the insurrection, I did get suspended for a day. Uh, at least I know it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, a low bar to hurdle. <laughs> well, well played, Kevin L. Thank, thank you for the. the that's a, that's actually a pretty good line. You you should yeah. keep that. <laughs> but uh, the day of the insurrection, when that lady got shot, I said that lady, that lady broke into the Capitol and got to meet Ronald Reagan the same day, and everybody got very mad at me and like searched anything that they could find to try to and just reported all of my tweets. They just were like, they were just like, you can't make fun of that lady dying. And I was just like, I can't I? I mean, I can see why people might be a little offended by that. But I mean, yeah, you I mean, can you? I mean, this is one of those comedian things that you probably run up against all the time. You know, can you and should you? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Uh, don't break into a federal building is it, a lot uh, easier pitch to make than like, don't sell cigarettes on the street. 
which I've seen a lot of people advocate for people to die for. So especially but, on Twitter. You, you know, actually, though, you you raise a point, though, that I always think is really interesting with comedy. The idea because like I, I generally feel like, you know, that they're real. The idea of like anything being off limits or like, you know, anything being like a third rail. Like I, I pretty much believe that if you are capable of making a joke that crosses boundaries in a way that is elevated and smart, if you can pull it off more power to you, because there is supposed to be an, uh, an element of pushing boundaries. That being said, it is extremely difficult to do the more, you know, really touchy stuff that you get into. And I, and I feel like a lot of comics, frankly, you know, a lot of writers, a lot of whatever can't pull it off. And what, what I think is always interesting is the comics that basically try to go there, but seem like they're more interested in going there for the sake of going there, as opposed to what they're actually trying to do while they're there. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I always, cause you'll see comics get very defensive about reactions to crossing certain boundaries, but you know, not every time, but more often than not, I think that reaction comes more with how they told the joke as opposed to telling the joke at all. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, you got to also consider the fact that like 90%, 80% of everybody that does anything is probably shit at it. Like think of how many writers there are out there. They're 80% of them are probably shit. 20% are probably really good. And you know, and, and of that 20%, there's a, a, a really elite class. Um, are there topics that are really hard to talk about? Yeah, there, there are. And, and would I leave those to, to people with better understandings of them or better, uh, you know, people that have ed better educated themselves about those topics? Absolutely. I think there's comics that are, um, when they go into those topics, they might be more concerned with a, a, a react, like you said, a reaction as opposed to like, uh, an actual understanding of the topic. Um, you know, I, I, one of my best friends and a comedian that I, I open for when he's here in the States, uh, is this comedian, Daniel Sloss. He's big in, in the UK and, uh, he's, he's got a bunch of specials on Netflix and he has a, a lot of, uh, you know, he, the UK style is very, uh, it's an hour. It's usually in an hour. And in that hour, it's, it's usually covering one overarching topic. Um, it's very different from American standup. It's, it's more storytelling with jokes sprinkled in. It's, you know, I watch him do this and I'm just like, gee, you know, I can never fail. It's like watching, you know, the same way that you watch like a LeBron James play basketball. And you're just like, I could like, I know we do the same thing, but I can never do what that fucking guy does. Um, so, you know, he can cover topics. Like I've watched him cover topics about like one of his friends getting sexually assaulted. And it was from a, uh, a very, uh, thoughtful perspective. And he, he talked to her through this and like, you know, obviously he had made sure that he had wow. had her blessing for this. And like, you know, it was, it was somebody that, you know, it, it, you guys can all check it out on Netflix, but he, he says this was somebody that it was a friend of his that, that also was the person who did this. So it was kind of like tackling that perspective of it. Wow. And like, if it's coming from your own perspective, it's, it's a, a topic that you can explore a little more uh, closely because it's, you know, you Stand up supposed to be about you. It's it's you know I don't really like stand up where you know I go there and they're talking about like you you're they're on stage talking about like Kim Kardashian. What the fuck does she have to do with you? Right. Who are you? I don't I didn't come here to fucking talk about Kim Kardashian. Who the fuck are you? And uh, I think if you know if, if there there's guys that you know want to make jokes about things like that or you know uh, just topics that are way over their heads. And uh, don't, but then it's not going to stop them. They, they like the reaction. The reaction is right. more important than right. um, it being good, good art. If, if what's what what are, what do you think are sort of the the guidelines? You know, like not. I mean, or whatever it is. Like you know, you know, to like what is what are the things that you at least hold to when you say like, I'm not going to do this. Uh, you know, we've talked, we talked a little bit earlier in the day, like punching down, for example, like what are kind of the, the basic things? Like I will say what I want to say. I will go where I want to go, but these are the rules that I won't break in the process. 
I, th I think my, my biggest rule is, and it was something that I, it took a, a couple of years to, to figure out was I just, well, I want to sound like me on stage and I want to, like, I want to make sure that nobody, nobody would ever confuse my act with somebody else. Like nobody would be like, Oh, are you the guy that does that? That If somebody's seen me, they know they've seen me. Like I, I make fucking sure of that. Like from the moment I'm on stage till the moment they leave that club. I make sure that they know who, like they're they're gonna remember who I am. So I want them to not only fucking like like me. I want them to fucking like comedy. I want them to enjoy the fucking experience of live comedy, and I want them to be like, oh, that that comedian. Like even if they don't remember my name, if they remember, oh, that comedian. You know, he, he came and had a drink with us after the show, and he, you know, he took a picture with us. Oh, it was a good time. I liked live comedy. I want to go to another live comedy show. I enjoyed that experience. I want to keep doing that. If I did like that, that's really uh, the biggest thing for me is like making sure that I'm like leaving comedy better than I left it. What, where so, do you like, think, where do you think it's at now? Like in terms of like, in terms of the state of it and trying to leave it better than you found it. I fucking, <laughs> I apparently didn't do a great job after, over the last fucking year. Uh, but you know, <laughs> I, we'd been building something really, uh, really special here in LA with Faded and, uh, it sucks that it's been all exactly a year since the last, the last one was a Friday a year ago. So it was just, it's, it was one of the most fun things I've, I've been a part of and it was a really cool community that we, we created and it, it felt really special and it felt really different than a lot of other stand-up shows that, uh, you know, people have said they've been to and, uh, I can't wait to do that again but i just i i can't in good conscience do it right now what, um what, what was the vibe like in terms of what, what what you guys were looking for with faded but before all this stuff happened and then we'll talk about the ways you guys have adjusted to it for the time being uh i mean our our whole thing was just like funny above all it was just uh we don't we don't give a fuck about your credits we don't give a fuck about what you've been on we don't give a fuck about any of that we just are you funny is our audience gonna rock with you is our audience gonna want to see like follow what you're doing after because that's a big part of what we did also was like we want to make sure that we're putting people over like if if our friends are getting like if they're on tv like we're gonna we're gonna fucking tell everybody if they're if they've got a project coming we want to tell people because and it's not just like to be like oh these people like i'm not i'm not gonna fucking pretend that these people got these things because they did faded that's ridiculous they, but they're i want to make sure people know that we've got an eye for this shit we know who, who who's good and who's who's uh like coming up but like we're genuinely happy for those people like i i'm every time that like one of my one of the comics that we booked on that show goes on to do something i'm just like fuck yeah because we don't book people that we don't fucking like and i get people you know I have my civilian friends reach out to me all the time being like, Hey, this comedian hit me up my, on Tinder. And he's my like, civilian friends. Yeah. And I, but like, they're just like, Hey, this comedian fucking hit me up on Tinder and he's an asshole. And I was just like, we'd never book that guy in a million years. I would never let him around my people anyway. And I'm not surprised that he was a dickhead to you. Um, so it's just, we, we try to keep our, our fucking, our sheet clean in that, in that respect. Well, and that's really important. I mean, I mean, beyond just the basic humanity of it, when, when you, mm. when you look at what's been going on in comedy in general and, you know, like a lot of the, the reckoning that's come with the environment that that's gone on in, in the world mm. of comedy, you know, particularly towards women or marginalized people in general, like the, that's important because it's at some point you have to try to turn that atmosphere around. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I know I have a lot of friends that work in sports media that have, you know, their industry has gone through uh, the same thing and sports that have gone through the same thing. And I have friends that are, that are pro wrestlers that at the exact same time that comedy was going through like a big, that whole, you know, yeah. Chris Leah and getting all those guys the fuck out of there. Um, you know, the, their business is being turned upside down with like, you know, shining a light on these fucking sex pests and getting them the fuck out of here. Like who there's no place for that. Uh, you know, I don't understand these like people that are like, Oh, Louis CK, he should be allowed. No, he fucking like jerked off fucking. He cornered two of his coworkers and jerked off at them. 
If you yeah. guys did that to your coworkers, you wouldn't be coworkers anymore. Like that's just fucking the real world. And uh, we need to make the world more real for these people. I think, I well, especially to in his case, from a position of power, like it, it's yeah, it's it, it's beyond just the act; it's the context of the act as well. Yeah, because I mean, it, he could have been the the fucking janitor at the comedy club, and you still can't jerk off at people. But like, also, you're like somebody that's considered a gatekeeper in that industry, and it's a uh, yeah, you know, yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's it's wh- I, one thing that I, I think is is going to be you know interesting is like, what are you looking forward to? Just in terms of like when when everybody can go back to like you know what kinds of stuff are you interested in in talking about and kind of you know making funny again and and <sighs> and telling jokes about like what what kind of stuff are, are you looking at? Honestly, I don't even know. Like, I haven't even really started to wrap my brain around the idea of of actually being on stage. I think my first like the first month I can, I'm gonna focus on just the the producing side of things because like I host, I you know I have I have a couple co-hosts and I have a couple co-producers, but like my I, you know I try I, I try to make sure everything's my first my first focus is like to make sure the show goes perfectly like the stand-up comes after but like i want to make sure the show goes right because right that's my job uh, first and foremost um because i usually there's enough comedians around anyways that like if there's other shit that i need to focus on i know that there's somebody that can do a bulletproof job in my place um so it's just just producing a show and, and being able to like be around that energy. That energy is just something I can't explain, especially like the way that we had it at faded. It was just like, we were really fucking hitting our stride and it's, it was, it was starting to be something that like I was really proud of and it was really building a a, a really cool community. There's a lot of people that like became friends at faded, like came to faded solo just because they heard it was cool and like met people that they still like, hang out with during quarantine like you know hang you know call during quarantine and it's just like wow like that's so like that blows my mind to just like think about that that like that was something that we helped create and like we had people flying in we had people flying in because they were just like we're we're coming to see faded we want to see faded we want to see what this is about we're we're staying the next couple of days because we're we're in la and we want to make sure that we're there on a friday so it was just something that we were so proud of and, you know, especially for when we found people were flying in, we were just like, we'd made the biggest deal out of it for them. Cause like, we know they're it's like, like, if you're, it's like, if I fly to your wedding, like I expect you to acknowledge that. Like I flew, I got on an airplane, I flew to your wedding, make it, make a production. But it's just like being excited about the fact that anybody's mm-hmm. excited about what you're doing. Like, I remember one of the big things that like like for me when we started the show was there was this pizza place down the street from uh from the original spot that we were at and anytime that i went in there like i just get maybe like a slice two slices whatever but this dude treated me like i was spending a fucking hundred dollars in the place like i'd just be waiting for two slices he's like you want you want a beer on the house uh fucking have a have a beer i just like god damn like i and you know what every friday that's where I came and I spent my money because I remembered the way that that guy fucking made me feel every fucking, and I, and you know, when every time I paid, I bought two slices of pizza, I left four slices of pizza's worth of money because fucking, it made me feel good. <laughs> I like to feel good. And I want to give, so eventually I started money. actually ordering much, much, much more because he was only charging me. I started ordering two or $300 worth of pizza every time. Cause he still only would charge me for two slices. Because <laughs> <laughs> It worked, but um, it's just, uh, Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say you you are an NBA guy. You uh, you know what we were we had a, a friend of ours on uh, our podcast, which you know you can actually go download the Land Lakers podcast, I believe podcast network. You got Haley on, yeah. on Friday. She's a she's a, a pal uh, of the show great. as well. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So we we had this debate last night about how much people are actually enjoying this NBA season. Because it's different, like people like us who do this for a living versus people like you who just watch it because you like, you know, in theory, you like the NBA. Yeah. Have you enjoyed 
the 2020-2021 NBA season? Uh, compared to what? Compared to my compared to, <laughs> to your week other, in Twitter jail? <laughs> compared to every other minute that I'm awake during the pandemic, yes, it is a, a massive improvement. <laughs> compared to m- many other seasons, no, I feel racked with guilt every time I watch this. And I watch this all goddamn day because there's no other relief. There's no other good feel that I get. So I wake up and I see what basket, what sports are on, and I go from there. And I, I, my joy is dictated strictly based on how those numbers end up. What in particular? I mean, I, I understand that, I, or at least I assume the context of the pandemic mm. uh, adding to that guilt. But what specifically makes you feel guilty about it? Like, do do you feel like your enjoyment of it? pressures them to be playing like like it's a or like is it dirty to even be watching this it's not even my enjoyment it's my participation the fact that i'm the fact that i'm watching it is whether directly or indirectly uh giving the nba a reason to continue doing it i mean mean, the guys want to play and i would too if i made you know sure but would they get a million dollars if we all stopped watching and the nba went oh fuck we maybe this is bad Oh, I think like, they'd be upset. They, they'd lose right, their they money. Want, <laughs> they they, want to they don't get their money. Exactly. So, like, but that's the whole thing. Is just like, how is how has this lasted a year when, like, people in like anybody with any real fucking sway could have put pressure on people like Obama calling LeBron and pulling that shit. Mm, that fucking <laughs> irks me, dog. Like these guys had a legitimate reason to sit out. And they're like, hey, you guys don't care about black people dying. Let's see if you care about black people oh, listen, not doing okay. their job. But like, here's the thing. Like, I, 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 this is one of those places where I actually get it. Like, I, I, I don't, I would, I would want to play if I was one of the, I mean, yeah, I want an escape too, but also isn't it's that not a, a, like, it's not an escape. It's the, I mean, like if, if I could do something with my body the, you know, in my career, that would earn me at worst like a million and a half bucks for doing it for the year. I'd be pissed if that was taken away from me, if it could be done. I mean, like the, I, I would, I, I sympathize with these guys wanting to be back on the floor. Oh, 100%. you shouldn't feel dirty. My I point was, is you shouldn't feel 19, dirty. 20, You're helping them. Yeah. But I'm, am I helping them or am I'm, or am I helping a bunch of fucking billionaires? How much am I, or comparatively, how much am I helping them versus, well, 30, I, the 30 fucking fat cats. Well, I mean, but here's the thing, though. I, I The way, I mean, I guess both sports and if you want to look at this more, you know, overarching society or, you know, the way sort of our system is set up, those things can't really be disentangled. But, yeah, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I get but, it. But at but the same time, yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from in the sense that, like, it, it, the capitalism that, you know, first and foremost is prompting the league to want to play like regardless of how much the players themselves actually want mm. to that capitalism is driving it from a league's perspective but it they don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive like you know no. th- you can be funding the league's coffers while still enabling the players to be doing something that they genuinely want to do for a bunch of reasons which include mm. getting paid you know yeah. what i mean like there there is the love of the game there's also the love of the money I can understand, though, what you mean in terms of just the idea that, like, this setup is what makes skipping a year feel feel like that's untenable. Yeah. So even if everybody yeah, wants. Like, I, I, get, I get these. I get these guys want to play basketball. You know what I wanted to do? Do fucking stand up. You know why I didn't? Because it's fucking danger to to myself and to others to to fucking do that, and it's uh, like selfish. It's, it's selfish for me to go out and do stand-up. Do you think, though, if there had been something like the equivalent of an NBA bubble for stand-up? And, I mean, I know it's not apples to apples, but I mean... Just they wouldn't have invited way. my ass, I tell you that much. <laughs> fucking, the kid, kid would have been sent... The kid, they would have sent to the, the kid fucking, the, 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 the comedy NIT. I'm not best. sure... I'm not sure what ring of hell it sounds like to be trapped in a bubble <laughs> with nothing but stand-ups, but it's got to be one of them. Like I, I, I love you guys, and I, I enjoy like live comedy, and I respect 
the hell out of what you do. The idea of spending eight weeks or whatever, 10 weeks in a bubble with nothing but 75 <laughs> comedians sounds yeah. awful. That does sound bad. I think uh, <laughs> festivals festivals are bad. Like that's a four day weekends enough. That's that's the most uh, any group of comedians should be putting. You know, a, it's a, similar a, to like how long it's similar to how long I think you can stay in Vegas. Like I feel like ninety six hours is the longest anybody should ever be in Vegas straight. Like including the residents. Like the actual <laughs> residents of Vegas should once every four days get out of town for twenty four yeah. hours and come back, start the clock again. You gotta, yeah. Four. It should be like nursing. Four days off. Four days. Off. <laughs> yeah, you got. You got to stay the hell out. Yeah, I, I remember one time I, I for work. I I don't remember what it was, but I get sent to Vegas for like ninety six hours. I I seriously was like, I need to. I'm I am going to kill myself if I don't leave. The, I love tables. I love gambling. I was like, if I hear that damn slot machine music one more time. <laughs> See, I'm not a guy like is my I watch enough sports that people assume that I I gamble and I just I don't I don't have an interest in it. I can watch sports and not have to have a, a betting interest in it. But like, and I, I hate Vegas. I hate it. But like now I like I'm just like uh, three days in Vegas sounds fantastic. I can't wait till yeah. I'm able like NBA. If summer it's, league is back, I'll, I will be there. We will. I will be a rowdy boy. It'll be fun. Well, it's it's supposed to be coming back. That that's their hope. Um, Just in but, one form or another. But see, I, like, if you want to feel dirty about something as a, as an NBA fan, I think you can go ahead and feel dirty. Like if you watched the All Star game, but just don't don't I don't be it. too. Okay, great. good. Well, there you go. But like, don't feel dirty if you if you've been watching the season because the players want to play the season. They didn't want to play the All Star game, so by no. skipping it, that's where you're showing solidarity to to the players. I just feel guilty about everything now. It's just I that that's the one constant is just that I feel bad and I'm mad all the time and I'm mad at people in power. I'm mad at people with no power who are not fucking <laughs> doing things either. I'm just mad. It's just a cycle of madness and I don't know what to do. No, it, it's it's honestly it's a, it's a shitty feeling. It's it there's a helplessness yeah. that comes with this period and you I feel like this period makes you like compelled to peel back the layers of every onion in a way that really isn't healthy. Like there's a certain amount of willful blindness that like, I think we as humans have to have in order to survive. And this period has made that willful blindness very difficult. Dog, I've had to spend so much time with myself, and that guy is flawed. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking problems. <laughs> problems. <laughs> All right, so what do, you, what do you think of your Celtics, though, this season? Um, it's been a pretty wild one, man. It's it's Our window isn't yet. Um, it's two uh, – it's one or two years from now. You know, I don't want to be one of these – like, I, I look at the, the Celtics, and I'm not one – I'm not – one of these panic guys. I, I understand that this happens at like right before the all-star game with Celtics teams every year. Like if you look at the way that just Brad coaches, like I've explained this to people before, but like Brad Stevens, like it feels like a lot of times where he's like coaching his own game and not even like trying to win in like January and February. And it's just more about like experimenting with lineups and figuring out what's going to click long-term. And uh, I think there's so many people that are just like, let's blow it. Let's trade stuff for Harrison Barnes. And I'm just like, why? Like, I don't want to do like these, uh, like LeBron first run with the Cavs, like half measures, like let's trade for a J or like, let's get a JJ Hickson or let's get a, uh, a Carlos Boozer who then leaves. And like, it's just like, all right, we're going to trade in. What was that? That's just a Carlos Boozer reference. We had, <laughs> we, had, we had Carlos Boozer here for a year. It was fun. Everybody liked Carlos Boozer. Nobody liked Carlos <laughs> Boozer. That is Carlos so Boozer. not true. Yeah. <laughs> there have not been there are very few athletes that in the history of the NBA have been as widely disliked everywhere they went, like Carlos Boozer. Yeah, he's just a turd boy. I don't care for him. But like I don't want to. <laughs> 
I don't, you know, I don't want to trade Rob Williams. Like, I think Rob Williams is a stud. Like, I, I look, I said this at the beginning of the season. Like, I think if you look at, like, where Bam was in his third year and where Robert Williams is, like, I see uh, maybe oh, wow. not bar for bar, but, like, I see a trend upward. I think Robert Williams, if he stays healthy, like, the hip problems worry me. Hips are important to basketball, uh, but that kid's a freak. Like, how do you watch him and not like really enjoy him? Like, very similar to like how I was with like Marcus Smart in the early days, where people are like, "Oh, he's a trade asset." No, that guy's a fucking like dog. Like, that's a guy you want in the fight. Like, uh, how do you not keep that guy around? And that's a guy that like, you know, I see the same shit with Pritchard, and I go, "Oh, that's a guy that his teammates love." Like, his teammates love that dude. And I see the same thing with that kid from. Uh, the kid from um, the Cavs, uh, Okoro. Oh, right. Isaac yeah. Okoro. Right. I remember watching the first couple of games of the season, or I think it was like just preseason games. And I'm just like, that kid's going to be a stud because of the way that his like, teammates are hyped for to see him do good. And I see that. I see that with Robert Williams. I see that with, with Pritchard. And I, I think all their – like I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, get Pritchard in the All-Star game like people do with like – Caruso as like a bit like don't be silly but like he's a good little role player and I like him like I if, if I'm gonna give minutes to a backup point guard I'd rather it be him than Jeff T let me let me ask you something with with Boston you know it's a city that has a very uh a very specific reputation for fandom and it is not positive and you know Brian and I for example grew up in St. Louis mm-hmm. we are Cardinal fans we understand that that organization is by any reasonable standard very successful very well run a lot of tradition blah 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 the fans are every bit as obnoxious and self-righteous and insufferable as their reputation so like and, both things can be true yeah and also too like social media has been really uh hasn't done the the best fans in baseball a, a, a lot of service because yeah. they keep kind of pointing out some of the times that that cardinal fans are like kind of racist so that hasn't it's, reflected really well on them you know i always uh, i always say this shit with boston because like uh yes boston does boston have a very racist history yes i'd love for anybody to point to a city in the united states or beyond that does not uh i think there's a lot of times especially with laker fans where like when Boston's brought up, I've, I, I've said this before, when Boston's brought up, they turn into J, uh, to James Baldwin. And then when their city's brought up, they turn into Mark Furman. And it's just like, well, <laughs> like, if you want to go that route, we can go that route. We can bring up every city's fucking racist past and we can we can talk about it. Well, do you are you bringing that up because you have a solution to it or you just want to bring it up? Well, I just, I just think it's interesting. I mean, beyond whether or not the, the the accuracy that you think of it, I also think it's interesting just because of the perception when it comes to the actual athletes themselves. Because mm. you, you hear the athletes talk about experiencing that sort of stuff in Boston more, if nothing else, outwardly than they may have in other cities. But you also mm. wonder how much of that reputation sort of perpetuates itself to where you might feel certain things a certain way in Boston that you might not other places. Mm. And, uh, and I think obviously p- part of that might be, you know, they probably experienced racism everywhere, but they probably right. didn't think that it was going to happen in the city that they were putting on, on the front of their chest. That's, that's pretty a uh, reasonable like thought to have if like, at least the people I do good for aren't going to be racist to me. And then, you know, to have that happen, uh, it's obviously probably disappointing to say the least. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, that's also why I think somebody like a Jalen Brown is, is so important. And, you know, people are like, Oh, trade, you know, a couple of years ago, trade him for Jimmy Butler. Fuck you. Don't No, <laughs> I, I was like, people thought I was fucking crazy that I didn't want to trade like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart for, for Jimmy Butler. He's a great player. That's I, a lot. I mean, that, that was a lot. No, that, like, that's those, an unreasonable he hole. Two of the three is fucking like was an expectation two or three years ago, and I'm glad we didn't Jimmy do it. Jimmy Butler's awfully good. Like, you know, Marcus really Smart good. stuff really for Jimmy good. Butler. But it's a, a collection of the 
parts and it's how long those parts can be in place for. And I think, you know, obviously they got them locked in each of those guys for a collective nine years. Like they're, they're there. So um, it, it, oh, it, it, I was just saying like in your, I think you mentioned you've been here like five years, like in your five yeah. years or whatever, do you, do you find yourself having to uh, cape up for the, the Celtics more than you, you otherwise would have, or like, you know, because you're in LA or how yeah. does this work? Have we been nice yeah. to you? None of us play for these fucking teams. Like, <laughs> like, like that's the thing. Anytime somebody's ever tried to like tries to be a dick about this, I'm just like, you fucking, are you a child? Like, <laughs> calm down. Like we're all like, it's, like I always like am very much like the the older I get, the more I try to like. As soon as the game's over, to have less and less of a feeling in regards to it as quickly as possible because it's yep. just like. I can't have this affect my fucking whole mood. I remember uh, when Brian and I first started uh, covering sports, we were uh, running the Lakers blog for the LA Times, mm -hmm. and we had a really active, you know, like uh, comment section that, in retrospect, was probably too active, and was really it, it really gave you an insight into fandom mm -hmm. that, frankly, was quite ugly. But I remember we had this one guy who used to talk about how. He would basically be in bars looking to pick fights with people over Kobe. Like, you know, he would be like looking to say stuff just so somebody would react about Kobe so he could, and I quote, punch that guy in the throat. That was I always wish, his thing. Like, I wish that guy had to tell that story to Kobe Bryant. That's, that's what we actually said to him. We said, do you think Kobe actually wants you to be doing this? He'd be he like, is, go away, you psychopath. Go home, spend time with your family, or fucking like, talk to a, a doctor. <laughs> talk to a medical professional. You got fucking you got head problems. Yeah, we were like, do you do you actually think if Kobe heard that story, he'd be like, right on, man. Good yeah. for you, man. You keep that up. Thanks like, for fucking defending me. I like, needed yeah. that. Yeah, yes. Kobe needs you to be doing that. He his little at this at this point, I think like four championship <laughs> career could, could yeah. use your boost of throat punching. Throat really punching a soldier, random soldiers in the yeah. war of Kobe. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a fight with people so they can maybe say something a little bit sideways about Kobe so I can accomplish my throat punch. We're like, he's no no athlete with any like shred of humanity is going to appreciate that. It's I just, the, the, the older I've gotten, the more I just don't give a fuck about most things. So it, it, I've gotten very <laughs> nihilist about like most everything. And I just like, especially at like that. I mean, there's, uh, I, I don't like to scrap uh, anymore, but I, it's something that I can do when it, it fucking needs to happen. And there's been times at bars where, you know, I'm, my friends are loud. They're rowdy. They attract attention. And there's people that just, they come up and they're, they're fucking, they're looking for a fight. And I'm just like, at this point in my life, I'm going to do anything I can to fucking talk my way out of this. I don't care about looking like a fuck. Like, I just don't care what it looks like. I'm out. No. I'm trying to have a nice night. I really don't give a fuck about like looking like a tough guy. I don't I, have to I, impress anybody. I, other than people like physically, you know, threatening, like imminent harm to friends or family. Yeah. Like, I can't really think of a good reason there's, to get into a fist, been, as an adult to get into a fist fight with another person. There's been one. Yeah. There's been one time in the last five years that I've laid hands on somebody. It's and it's because he, he, punched a woman and I feel justified. No, that's a, that's a good reason. But I, unless you're, it was, a, it was a crazy thing. I was walking, I was walking to a comedy show and this guy just like on the street hit it, this woman that he was with. And I was just like, did you just hit that woman? And he answered yes. Like, cause like for a second he could have lied to me and I've been like, all right, maybe, but he said yes. And I was just like, well, I got to fucking hit you now. It was very <laughs> That's that's a, that's a really that's a strange situation. It was so it was in front of a little Caesars. That's what I remember. And I hit him. I, I hit him with a, 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 a jab and a straight. And I remember just thinking to myself, I hit him with the old pizza pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that's awkward. That enough. actually and, is a boxing term. The old pizza is pizza. That, I've, I've it never, is not. I've, no, that is not I've at all a boxing I, I used to, I, Back in the day, but I never, I never heard that. 
All right. So the uh, the news story that we that we ran into that we wanted to run past you as a sort yeah, of yeah. what what do you do? Uh, last week there was a snorkeler in the Florida Keys who, while underwater, came across a black bag uh, wrapped up in tape. And upon undoing the tape, he discovered that inside there were twenty five bricks of coke, which ended up sixty eight pounds worth of coke. He turned it over to the uh, Monroe County. The Monroe County Sheriff. Nerd! <laughs> nerd! What are you doing, nerd? God damn! That's well, that, a lot okay. of fucking money. Yeah, it's uh, according to the uh, U.S. Border Patrol had a worth of over a mill and a half, uh, which frankly to me felt low for 68 pounds of Coke. And apparently, like, this has been happening a lot lately. Like in December, there was a guy that was out fishing, found nearly 75 pounds of Coke floating around. Um, there's, there's been, uh, 150 pounds of marijuana found another case of almost 80 pounds of Coke. Uh, officials feel that the, the pandemic has been leaving smugglers with fewer options to transport drugs. The well, question drop is, it off in, drop it off in, <laughs> in LA water. I'll go fish it out. I don't even, I'm not even, I don't even, I've never touched cocaine in my life. I'll find, I'll find somewhere that somebody that wants it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, if you if you are a person who's never done coke, you've got any experience with coke, I I I don't want seventy pounds of it. Like I I I have no idea what to do with seventy pounds of cocaine, other than wait. I I know enough people that I feel I feel like I know enough people that would know what to do with seventy pounds of coke. Like I don't know somebody that knows what to do with seventy pounds of cocaine, but I know somebody that would know somebody. But how do you even start that process? Like, I go, how, do you, I like have, how do you how do you attack somebody on the shoulder without saying, "Hey, I've got seventy pounds of cocaine in my house. I need help getting rid of. Can you help me?" Because you don't want to say never, that out loud. I would never. Uh, there's nobody that I would ask of that question of that I I wouldn't feel was prepared to hear that question. Like I I'd, I'd be turning to experts. I have a very specific group of friends. Uh, yeah, I have friends with a very specific skill set. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that's a lot of weight to attempt to move as a truly rank amateur. Amateur. Like, like on one hand, obviously, the idea of being able to move, you know, on a million and a half dollars worth of Is blow. Is it so bad, though? <laughs> the expiration date? Um, it's you only fire. I just, so if I Actually, just, if I just... So it's profit. The the profit margins of fucking there's no, there's no fucking expense. You got it at fucking zero. So you fuck everything you make is pure profit. Which, which okay, that all that, I gotta do is sell fucking a grand's worth of coke a week. That's not so hard. you go you so okay. So assuming there's no expiration date, like it's not it's not milk. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, looking at a I'm looking at a chat board on the internet, which certainly couldn't be misleading. Yeah. <laughs> Cocaine will turn a golden brown over time if not refrigerated. That's one comment. Oh, I'll, kept... buy a, I'll buy a big, I'll, you know, if I got this fucking Coke, I'm making an investment. I'll buy a big fridge and I'll keep. Okay. So that's one. I'll buy when a, kept... what's the opposite. I'll buy like a walk-in goddamn thing if I, if I need to for that. When Coke. kept dry and out of sunlight, it lasts forever. Yeah. Um, see, there we go. <laughs> Let's see here. For me, the shelf life was about two days, but I think that was probably specific to that person. Um, yeah, I think shelf life. Oh, here we go. This looks comprehensive. Shelf life depends on how many times you are in and out of the bag and how much air and moisture you are letting into the product. The more times you open the bag, the moister and crappier it will get. Seal it, put it in a freezer when you're not using it. <laughs> when you're not using it. And take it out only when you think you need or you're planning your mini Coke binge, and then you're good. So it lasts forever. We learned a lot. <laughs> I just, there's a part of me that would be tempted to sell it at way below cost just to get rid of it. And like you said, Mike, just treat it as pure yeah. profit. There's another part of me though, that would want to become the next Pablo Escobar. But like, if it's, <laughs> if it's a mill and a half worth of Coke and you flip it for a mill, you got a, you got a fucking million dollars off fucking nothing. Yeah. So, off just a yeah. little bit of snorkeling. You know, but it, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with the other guy who took it back in. I know it makes me lame. It makes me a nerd. It makes me a loser and all that. But I, I, there's a 0% chance that I don't end up in the jail for 30 years 
Well, if you find that drugs, you call me first, and then you can call the cops. Well, yeah. we'll and call, I can't. We'll call, I'm not, I've we'll, never done. We'll call the cops together. That. We'll call the cops together. I'll, I'll give you the number to nine one one. I'd be afraid of getting arrested on my way into the police station to turn the drugs in. <laughs> that always like, like that. That always would be funny if like somebody did get arrested with a bunch of drugs and be like, "Listen." I found a bunch of drugs. I was on my way to the police station to drop them off. I just yeah, want to be sure honest. you were, buddy. Like, like you get pulled over on the way to the police station for like a like a tail light. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, dude, God. I got. I just came out of the water. I was snorkeling. I found yeah. this bag. Okay, I found buddy. This bunch of coke. I was on my way to you guys. You know anything it, about this? It, it is actually a very awkward situation to be a, a good Samaritan. You have to. You have to really drive the speed limit in a car that's up to date at that point. Yeah. Like, like maybe much trouble. It is. All right. So before we let you go, we wanted to give you an opportunity to just to let people know a little bit more about what you guys are doing right now online. You got the shows every Thursday. You guys just did yeah. the. Uh, Faded Spelling Bee with 12 contestants, including Katie yeah. Nolan from ESPN, uh, Dragonfly Jones and Megan Gailey, who've yeah, been yeah. on our show before. Um, that was a lot of juggling you guys did. It was controversial. Yeah, we did it. Uh, yeah, there was a controversial finish. Uh, we ended up having holding a trial for the uh, for the winner to see if they, uh, they won it clean. And uh, they were exonerated, much to my chagrin. Uh, he fucking cheated. You can't tell me different. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we're doing, we're doing that again on, uh, March 20th. He will not be able to cheat this time. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if he can win it clean, but yeah, we got some new contestants, uh, some, some good pals, some good surprises. That'll be fun. We're doing that on the 20th. It's a, a Saturday this, uh, this time, but yeah, we've been doing the, uh, for free. If he, no, he's, he's, he's free. He's already free. So if you guys fucking did it, uh, <laughs> yeah well no katie katie nolan can go to hell too for getting him off she fucking she was a bad witness she was the uh, no, but Ka katie's witness. katie sarah spain all those people they've served as judges on a lot of espn shows that's sort of their role that they they fill so you got to give them a break yeah. yeah well she she was a very shaky witness and, and absolutely <laughs> turned her testimony so uh you know i love her but she's good people He's not the kind of person you can rely on if you find 60 pounds of no, cocaine and you swear not. you're on your way to the, the police station to turn it in. Yeah. Well, no, see, that that's the thing about me for some reason, and especially Katie likes in, in, to do this, is people like negging me. Like, people like to just, like, whatever I say is right, they'll say is wrong just to, like, get a reaction out of me. So that's very much what, what Katie likes to do sometimes. Uh, well, according Fair to uh, BJ Dry, you encouraged her to be a bad witness. So it seems like everybody not. had a role. She did whatever she wanted to. Well, yeah, I, I guess, you know, when you've reached Katie's station in life, you're not going to be told yeah. what to do. I mean, that's what, just what, what are we going to do? Threaten to not book her again? <laughs> yeah, that that'll show her. You'll never fucking work my drug spelling me again. <laughs> You'll just have to that'll settle for all that ESPN her. programming yeah. that you're doing. Um, yeah, the, uh, oh, I was gonna say the the drug spelling me. So uh, Danny, who's my co-host on the Faded Happy Hour, he's actually the I'm I'm just the the, the judge, I guess. I thought I was going to be off camera for the spelling bee, but apparently I'm not. So I thought I was going to have less work to do, but no, it's more work for me. Uh, so Danny's the host of the uh, the drunk spelling bee, but him and I host the uh, the Thursday happy hour show where we have a bunch of uh, bartenders on. Beach, who's in the chat, is actually might be on uh, might oh, cool. be hosting next Thursday. So yeah, we just make a bunch of drinks, and I I used to not know shit about cocktails, and now I can make most things. I used to just like. Uh, Jameson and ginger ale, and that was that was uh, a nice cocktail for me. What's the recipe for that? It's uh, Jameson and ginger ale. All right, you really are an expert now. Yeah. <laughs> you were kidding. <laughs> you really come a long way. Do you find uh, that you have to drink more now to be around yourself in the way no. that you described earlier? It's actually it's surprise. It's people are uh, seem to be surprised because they they see my um, posts are a lot more drink centric but i'm probably drinking way less than i certainly was when i was at comedy shows you know i'd be at faded and i'm having seven eight goddamn white claws by the end of the night <laughs> and four or five goddamn mixed drinks of the goddamn rattlesnake at the end of the night so now it's like 
Yeah, will I will I fucking mix myself a drink at three? Yeah, but it'll be one of three drinks I have before I go to bed. And it's, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah, certainly, we're all, you're, you're drinking a lot less than you were before you were snorkeling off the Florida Keys and found 60 yeah. pounds of cocaine under the water, uh, as one does. Um, Mike Malloy is uh, with the, the I'm going to put your banner back up here too to make it easier. The uh, Faded faded Comedy LA. Go to FadedComedy.com to check all that stuff out. The Drunk Spelling Bee is next weekend. March said, right? 20th. March, March 20th. 20th. That's yep, yep. two weekends. Uh, so mark your yeah. calendars for that. We'll tweet that out when it when it gets a little bit closer. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, man. This is fun. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. We will talk to you soon. And again, congratulations on your imminent release. Stay out of trouble for at least like a week or so. Take care, man. All right, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Cool. Um, There you go. Yeah. So before we go, I I, this this happened, um, Andy. Some NBA news that you know because the the Lakers. There are some Lakers fans who were interested in the concept of Blake Griffin joining the Lakers. I wonder how useful he might have been. Um, now people are talking a little bit more about Andre Drummond. This is from Mark Stein uh, from the New York Times, former colleague of ours at ESPN. There's optimism within the Lakers that they will get strong consideration from Andre Drummond if Drummond ultimately leaves the Cavaliers via buyout, league sources say. Cleveland's preference, of course, remains trading Drummond elsewhere before the March 25th deadline. There are a lot of qualifiers in this, Andy. Yeah. There is optimism. Optimism is a sh- sort of a shaky word. It will get strong consideration. That is also a shaky kind of construction. That if Drummond ultimately leaves the Cavaliers via buyout, like there's a lot going on in that sentence, but I'll ask you this one. Does Andre Drummond solve what people think at least is wrong with the Lakers? Um, He doesn't solve everything, but he addresses some areas. Like it, if you are concerned at all about rim protection, he's better at that than, than what they currently than Mark Gasol or Montrez Harrell as a as better a shot than Harrell on. for sure. Yeah, as a, I think he's, as not a, he's, he's still not a very. He's, he's, but as a as a defender, you know, rim. I, I guarantee you, Gasol's rim protection numbers. If you sure, if you're I, not I just, concerned about shot blocking are oh, okay. better than Drummond's. Dep- okay, I would say it depends on the type of rim protection that you are looking for. If you're looking for just more actual size for this team, he could mm. address some areas. I don't think he addresses the biggest problem areas for this team, which I think exist along the wing and along the perimeter. I also wonder where he's going to play and how much and whether this is actually the best opportunity for Andre Drummond in terms of what what I assume he wants to be looking for on the court, unless you're going to be really cutting down the minutes for either Gasol or Harrell, I I don't know where he's going to play, especially when you take into account how much five ultimately Anthony Davis is going to play. And I I don't picture the Lakers doing something in the second half where they start trying to find different ways to play Drummond and AD together having had no experience uh, as teammates. That seems like a lot, especially to to put to implement for what's going to be a really hectic second half of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, here's my 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 thinking about he could this. be handy, he could be handy to have. I actually question, though, to be honest, if this is actually the best opportunity for Andre Drummond, but oh I, I actually I mean I, here's the thing that I think most people assume, right, that he would be a prime candidate to end up on Brooklyn. He still could. Um, like there's no reason necessarily he couldn't end up on the Nets just because they signed Blake Griffin. I I always I never know what to think about this sort of thing because I on the one hand, Andre Drummond's good. He's not as good maybe as his contractor. He's flawed because he's not a great defender or whatever it might be. But the dude can, you know, pull down rebounds. Yeah. He's a great rebounder and he is a you know 15, 16, 17, 18 point a he's game curly, score. He's currently averaging 17 and a half, 13 and a 13 half. 13 and a half. Like you're good if you can do that and a block a game and a steal and a half a game and all that, all that kind of stuff. He's too good to say Andre Drummond doesn't help him. But I I I don't know if it's a failure of imagination or what it might be. I'm having trouble figuring out what Andre Drummond looks like with 
Anthony Davis and with LeBron James, particularly late in games? Well, I, I mean, the whole late game thing, I don't worry about in terms of from the Lakers perspective, it might be a consideration for Drummond, which is again, when, when right. I say I'm not sure this is the best opportunity for him, that's one of the things I'm talking about. But I consider that much more of an Andre Drummond problem than a Lakers problem. I just wonder how it actually works without really reconfiguring the rotation. Like I, were I to guess, it would really indicate that Vogel is just unhappy with Montrez Harrell. Yeah, and what's what's the problem with what you're saying too is that you know Cleveland is expected to kind of run out the clock on this thing. Like they're not going to buy him out until they have exhausted every single trade opportunity. It seems like, which means that pushes you to the end of March, and then you're getting you know you get April May like some of the things that you're concerned about. How do you integrate those things? become more acute if you can't start now. Yeah. I, you can't I, start now anyway because Anthony Davis is in the lineup. I mean, look, he's a hard guy to turn down if you really have the opportunity because, look, someone like Gasol or Harrell ends up potentially getting hurt, COVID, whatever, then all of a sudden that, that issue of how do you make all that work with the rotation goes away because they're not available. I mean, you know, Andre Drummond is – a very useful player to have on your roster and can be, you know, even if you consider it counting stats, a very good counting stats guy. And, you know, every once in a while, empty calories are nice to Is have. Is he that bad defensively? Like that's been the thing that makes people say Andre Drummond isn't worth it because, you know, yeah, he's averages 17 and a half points a game and generally 14, 15 rebounds a game. Um, but he's so bad defensively that it doesn't matter. Like I, you know, I always think it's hard to tell. He's always the, been on shitty teams. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is I think a guy like Drummond can be difficult to evaluate that way because he's always been on these teams that you know, they say like Andre Drummond doesn't add to winning. Maybe that's true, but generally speaking, neither of his teams. Mm -hmm. You know, like his teams would have been losing whether he was there or not. So. It, He's a difficult guy to evaluate, but I mean, it, look, the Lakers might want to just get him to keep him from being on another team. Well, if they can get him, the only way they can get him is to sign him for you know the minimum and all the stuff that they have available. That's right. all. That's all they can do. If he's right. willing to come, they're not going to find a better player. If I have to no. choose between Andre Drummond or Trevor Ariza, who Ariza theoretically fills a need a little bit more, but hasn't played a a second of basketball this year. And has been, you know, he had a bit of a revival last year in um, in Portland, but it wasn't like he was dominant. And has he's clearly on the downside of things. I'm taking Andre Drummond. It's I'm not even thinking about it. He's a much better player. He's That's just, me. No, no, I, I I agree with you. I I would say Andre Drummond is somebody that they can get. I just don't exactly know how he fits into all this. But as long as you're up front with the guy about the potential complications of having him on the roster exactly what his role is going to be how much he is going to play how much he's not going to play if he's down with it mm -hmm. it's worth giving an opportunity it's worth giving will, it a go i will say um my biggest concern here might be that um and anthony davis's rebounding has already been very disappointing this year from a fantasy standpoint you put Andre Drummond on this team, it's going to fucking tank my, my, my squad. <laughs> okay, now we understand exactly where your reluctance was coming from. I, look, I, I, finally it's a pandemic. Out. It's been rough on us economically, Andy. That is I, true. I, 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 there's an imperative on you, – you, look at you all cushy, Mr. I won my fantasy football league for the first time ever. Now you're right like acting like it doesn't matter. Like you know, We've reached a point in our lives this year thanks to you know 2020 – where it actually kind of makes a difference if I finish first, second, third, or fifth. Like, you know, the kid's got to eat. So, yes, keep Andre Drummond away from the Lakers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> or let Anthony Davis have his rebounds. Don't be hoggy. Well, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how, what type of team player he is. But ultimately, again... If they can, if they can get him, they would be pretty foolish not to. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, coming up tomorrow, this is actually going to be a really cool edition of the Late Night Happy Hour. We're going to speak to Robert Vargas. He's a muralist who just put up a really cool Kobe mural on the on the west side of L.A. on the Zambezi building in in in, in I think it's in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. um, correct. 
Yes. But he's done stuff all over the city. You know, he, he's done, he, he did an Eddie Van Halen mural at Guitar Center in Hollywood, just all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, and we, and, and so we're going to learn a lot about what goes into doing this. I'm really excited about talking to him tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, the Lauer After Hours, Lauer After Dark guys, we're going to have 10 people on this screen, I think. Why not? I think Why not? We're, we're going, we're going deco box. Let's do it, man. At the very least, it's going to be an octo box, but we're, yes. we're, we're going to box the fuck out of this thing on Wednesday, uh, Thursday, nine o'clock. We're going to go an hour earlier to accommodate our good friend, Michael, uh, Michael Lee, who's, uh, joining us from the East coast. Uh, great, great basketball writer, all around awesome guy. And then the, uh, Jordan Liggins and Haley O'Shaughnessy, um, are going to join us on Friday. Yeah, so no, good week. It's going to be the fun, Spencer's right? Spencer's podcast, and so they just launched that, and it's really good. And so a great week of guests coming up, and we will see you tomorrow again. Muralist Robert Vargas. If you have any questions that you want to ask him, uh, we'll put that out because I'm excited to learn about like what goes into all this stuff. So it should be fun. Yeah. Donkey Needle on. <laughs>